BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Many people have analyzed Donald Trump through the lens of psychopathy. Uh, you know, for example, we've had a number of psychiatrists. Justin Frank, the professor of psychiatry at uh, George Washington University, has been on this program you know, probably a dozen times talking about Trump as a psychopath. So we've looked at him through the lens of mental illness or mental health. We have certainly looked at Trump through the lens of politics over and over again. But what if we're all missing something? What if really the way that we should be examining Donald Trump, his career and his activities and his ongoing ambitions is through the lens of organized crime, of criminology? Greg Barak is the North American editor of the Journal of White Collar and Corporate Crime. He's an emeritus professor of criminology and criminal justice at Eastern Michigan University. And he's got a new book out called Criminology on Trump. The website is Greg, G-R-E-G-G, Barak, B-A-R-A-K.com. Greg, welcome to the program. Establish the frame for this. Why, why do you think that the primary dimension of Donald Trump's life, career, and ambitions is rooted in crime rather than politics or psychopathy or just racial grievance or something else? The way in which I'm approaching it as a criminologist, it's rooted in all of those things. It's not a question of that he's not a psychopath. It's rooted in what Frank has to say and what others have to say. But in looking at Trump through the scientific lenses of criminology, I've tried to give the 45th president his rightful place in the U.S. history of crime. In a sense, this is the first criminal biography of Donald Trump. And what people need to understand about Trump's lifetime of deviance is that it represents a smorgasbord of lawlessness. In other words, Trump checks off the boxes of all legal categories. Trump breaks criminal laws. He breaks civil laws. He breaks administrative laws. He breaks international laws and constitutional laws. You name the type of law and Trump breaks them. Um, over the course of five decades, Trump has been accused of sexual assault, tax evasion, money laundering, non-payment of employees, and defrauding of tenants, customers, contractors, investors, bankers, and charities. So finally, the way in which, to answer your, your question, I think, to make sense out of Donald and his lifetime of lawlessness is through the perspective of selective enforcement of the law and differential application of justice. From that framework, I've examined three generations of fraud and deception as exhibited by Trump, his family members, and close business and political associates. So it's inclusive of politics, of history, of sociology, of political economy, of government, of law, inclusive yeah. of the whole enchilada. Most other people are only just looking at a part of the picture. I totally get it. You point out that he turned his presidency into a windfall for his business, that he used the law as a weapon, that his assault on government institutions has been particularly egregious. You're calling for RICO prosecution. And one of the things I found most fascinating was your assertion that the Deutsche Bank and Donald Trump were engaged in an overlapping criminal scheme. You want to tell us about that? 
many of your listeners and viewers are aware that since the early 90s, Donald Trump's repeated casino uh, bankruptcies and other bankruptcies, some 20 in total, made him out of bounds for most banks, for all banks. In fact, the only bank that Donald could find to lend him money was Deutsche Bank, historically and presently the world's most laundry bank in in the history of banking, to my knowledge. So he hooked up with a launderer. He himself had already scored his first kleptocrat, if you will, his first money launderer in his tenant uh, baby uh, doc Duvalier from Haiti. All of that stolen money ended up purchasing a property in Trump Tower. If you look at Trump's tower... Wait a minute, uh, so so Donald uh, Trump was laundering money for, for baby doc? He was the first. He, he's the first kleptocrat that Donald scored, and that he sold a condo in his Trump Tower. So that was when Trump went they, into the money laundering business, basically, and and looking for, uh, for well, kleptocrats to, to well, pass was, money to him. That was the first time he did that. Now let me say, if he acquired the money from Baby Doc through a shell company created outside the United States or within the United States, that in itself is not necessarily a crime. Although one would ask yourself why it isn't a crime, because we don't know uh, who who the owners are in 20% of his tenants. We don't know where where the money uh, from his uh, uh, purchasers of his financial properties, 20% of those, some 1,500 properties have been purchased by shell companies. So we don't know where that money has been, and we don't know who that money belongs to. So getting back to your question about Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank was willing to lend Donald money. And think about it. Over the years, Deutsche Bank sued Donald. Donald sued Deutsche Bank. They countersued. They negotiated. They continued to do business in spite of all of that until January 6th when Deutsche Bank finally stepped away. So I'm speculating here. Both are engaged in laundering. Both are, you know, working in laundered money. They both have the goods on each other. Now, I have heard speculation that the only condition under which Deutsche Bank was willing to loan a billion dollars to Donald Trump, and it was signed off on apparently by the son of uh, the Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, his son Justin Kennedy, which uh, leads to the question, did Donald blackmail Kennedy into stepping down so that he could put beer bong biff into the into the supreme court but the only condition under which they were willing to loan that money to him was if it was backstopped by a russian oligarch is there any evidence of that if there is i I have not seen that evidence i mean a word you know some speculative things that's why i said to you you know since they're both engaged in this i'm not sure of the relationships i'm not sure of you know who was backing donald's initial loans for them to be willing to do it but this was also a period of time where deutsche bank was beginning to step up and to become a world-class bank you know they didn't exist in you know on wall street back when that was starting. Mm-hmm. This was part of the movement of them to maximize their profits, and they were collecting money and doing things all over the place, and Donald was a customer. Yeah, remarkable. We're talking with Greg Barak. He's the, uh, the author of a new book, Criminology on Trump, putting Trump in his rightful place in the history of crime. Greg, we just have a minute or so left. What, In your mind, what is the most egregious example of Donald Trump's criminality? There's a lot of things that are that, that compete for for that answer in different categories. So I'd have to say the sedition <laughs> against the United trying to overthrow States the United States people. government. Right, I think that's the most egregious, and I think that that is what Garland will go after him and his co-conspirators. I did not think that previously, but I've reached that conclusion. And short of doing that, you know, we're all in jeopardy. Yeah, there you go. The new book, Criminology on Trump, the author Greg Barak, G-R-E-G-G-B-A-R-A-K, which is his uh, Twitter handle and his website. Greg, thanks a lot for dropping by. Good luck with the book. Thank you very much, Tom. My pleasure. Good talking with you.
Why are people in power afraid of Donald Trump? I don't get this. Alvin Bragg, the DA in New York, going, well, I don't think we want to continue this investigation. Well, we are sort of, but we just, you know, the, the two main investigators just quit because he had slowed things down. You've got the Justice Department taking their sweet time. I mean, we're pushing up on two years since this guy had the immunity of the White House. He should have been impeached, right? We tried twice. Both times, Republicans, terrified of Trump's wrath, said, oh, it's, it's cool if he wants to try to blackmail a foreign government to get political dirt, you know, his withholding weapons from Ukraine, his blackmailing Zelensky, that's fine. And then the second time he was impeached, oh, yeah, he, he, he did incite an insurrection and, and people died in this assault on the, on the U.S. Capitol building and they tried to murder the vice president and, and speaker of the House, but, you know, we'll just give him a pass. Why are they so afraid of him? I mean, he should have been arrested for treason on January 6th. He should have been arrested for taking home classified documents. There was a guy, I'm forgetting his name now, but this is during the Obama administration. There was a guy who worked for the, as I recall, it was the FBI, might have been the NSA, who was arrested for taking home a laptop. And he wasn't doing anything nefarious with it. You know, now Trump took all these documents down to Mar-a-Lago, and, and one of the lines of inquiry is how many foreign people came in and went through those documents. He should have been arrested for and for fraud, for lying about his finances, hell, 30 years ago. Why are people afraid of him? He should have been arrested his first week in office when he brought the Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador into the White House Oval Office and gave them the name of an Israeli spy. Yes, Donald Trump burned an Israeli spy who was providing us with information about what the Russians were up to. Donald Trump handed that information off to Sergei Lavrov and uh, the ambassador, I'm forgetting his name. I mean, it was like a two-day news story. And not to mention, you know, 20 different women saying that he sexually assaulted them and several saying that he raped them. I mean, the American people have figured this out. This is just an amazing study, this, this morning consult political poll that just came out yesterday. They asked, do you believe that election officials misleading Americans about the outcome of election is a crime that should be prosecuted? 71% of Americans said yes. Do you believe elected officials attempting to overturn the results of an American election is a crime? 69% said yes. Do you think election officials claiming that presidential elections are fraudulent without evidence is a crime? 56% said yes. The majority of Americans want Donald Trump and his cohorts and his buddies and people like Josh Hawley in jail. You know, why are our elected officials and our senior, the senior officials in the Department of Justice apparently afraid of him or is it just you know hey it takes time for the wheels of justice to turn i mean i i just i don't know but i think it's worth mentioning i just want to mention it scott in sugar grove illinois hey scott thanks for listening to sirius xm what's on your mind today is trump a criminal or is he a politician and i would have to side with the criminal with the criminal side and also an opportunist i think he saw an opportunity to play on the fears of a faction of, of America, which he parlayed into greater power, and we all know power equals greater wealth. So I, I certainly think he's just been playing a big game, and politician he is not. He took in one and a half billion dollars during the four years he was in the White House. Uh, he's, he's taken another couple hundred million dollars that he's fundraised since he left the White House, funneled millions and millions of dollars from the United States into his own pockets. I'm with you, Scott. I, I think he's a criminal. <laughs> it's the best description. Thank you, Scott. Bruce in Palmdale, California. Hey, Bruce, what's up? I, I got to ask you a question. What's the difference between Richard Nixon and Donald Trump? Not a great deal. I mean, Nixon took two bribes that we know of, one from the milk lobby and one from Jimmy Hoffa. They were both million-dollar bribes. So, uh, uh, although, you know, Nixon wasn't as slick as, as Trump. Uh, Trump, is, right. Trump is a world-class criminal. Uh, Nixon was a minor grifter. Richard Nixon was a president who became a criminal. Donald Trump was a criminal who became president. Brilliant. Yeah. Well said. Bruce, thank you very much. Mark in Woodstock, New York. Hey, Mark, what's up? Maureen in Geneva, Illinois. Hey, Maureen, what's on your mind today? 
why don't the Democrats get the video of uh, Donald Trump meeting Vladimir Putin for the first time in Helsinki? It must have been in the latter part of 17, where he he met the man clearly cowering and fawning before him. Yes. Apparently very scared of him. It was so humiliating that John Brennan, uh, Secretary of Defense under George W. Bush, was embarrassed and made comments about it over and over again. And then he said he trusted Putin over our own intelligence agencies. I mean, if you ever needed proof that Donald Trump has been bought and paid for by Russian oligarchs, probably since the 90s, since his last bankruptcies, this was it. That anybody ever voted for him, and why would they want him again? Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So down in Florida, they're buying Republican legislators, you know, the utilities. It's getting very strange. I mean, first of all, you've got the Republicans who have not talked about policy since the 2016 election. There was a Republican platform in 2016. Donald Trump completely ignored it, threw it away. And there has not been a platform for the Republican Party since then. The 2020 election, the Republican platform was, we'll do whatever Donald Trump tells us to do. I mean, literally. Well, not quite literally, but damn close. That was their platform. We have no platform. Donald Trump is our platform. QAnon is our platform. And then comes along Rick Scott, the Republican senator from Florida, the guy who uh, was the CEO of the company that committed the largest Medicare fraud in the history of America. And he has come up with a plan, his 11-point plan, his contract on America. And he wants to raise the taxes on 100 million Americans. That's the working people, people in the bottom 60% of America. He wants to raise their income taxes. And he wants to sunset Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid within five years. So, you know, they did a little polling on this, on his so-called Rescue America platform. And they found that among registered voters, 27% support it. 59% are opposed to it. 14% can't figure out what the hell he's talking about. This is the question that was asked. As you may know, Republicans released a campaign plan called the Rescue America Plan that would raise taxes on about 100 million working class Americans and require Congress to reauthorize all laws every five years, which means programs like Social Security and Medicare could be eliminated if there's a gridlock in Congress. Knowing this, do you support or oppose this plan? Yeah. It's 16 points underwater with Republicans. It's a stone-cold loser. And this is the guy who thinks he's going to take Mitch McConnell's job if the Republicans take the Senate. Debbie Stabenow, this is great. Mitch McConnell was dribbling on about something, and Debbie Stabenow, the the Democratic senator from Michigan, she says, there was $7 trillion in new debt and 2.6 million jobs lost during Trump. But when McConnell comes to this podium, all he does is complain that we're not cleaning up their mess fast enough. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Meanwhile, the New York Times is reporting that Jared Kushner was given $2 billion by the Saudis over the objections of their investment advisors. 
this is not an investment, in my opinion. I mean, I may be wrong about this, but it, this sure looks to me like a payoff. What did Jared Kushner do for the Saudis? Well, you know, he was organizing Donald Trump, basically. He got Trump over to Saudi Arabia as the very first international visit. He got Donald Trump to sell the Saudis a whole bunch of weaponry that Congress didn't want them to have so that they could you know, pursue their war against Yemen. He ignored and got Congress to ignore and had the president ignore the Saudi murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post columnist. You know, he was going over there, sitting up until four o'clock in the morning with MBS, uh, you know, laughing and drinking and having a good old time or whatever they were doing. And apparently planning on how, you know, hey, we'll do whatever you want, Saudi Arabia, for four years in exchange for that. You give me two billion and you give Steve Mnuchin a billion. And who knows how much of this is going to Donald Trump? I mean, literally, nobody knows. Meanwhile, we're seeing the results of uh, right-wing activism, this neoliberal embrace of privatized everything, in this case, privatized youth lockup facilities. This is the uh, Louisiana's Acadian Center for Youth at St. Martinsville. Activist Tamika Mallory has shared a video about this. The kids are locked up for 23 hours at a time in solitary confinement in their cells. No lights, no exercise, abusive guards, no classes, no reform, no help. Their only interaction with people is through their meal slot. I mean, if you want to damage a child and guarantee that they will be uh, a prison, that they will be an outlaw, essentially, a criminal, do this to them when they're young. Lock them up, break them. This is a process called institutionalization. It's like breaking a horse. You break them down to the point where they, well, oh yeah, living in this institution, I can do that. Put them back out on the streets, you've skipped their education, they have no skills, they have no ability. What do they do? They turn to crime with the idea that, well, if I go to jail, it's not a big deal. I was in jail when I was a kid. I, I, I survived it. You can figure out how to get through. That's what institutionalization is all about. 15-year-olds being locked in solitary confinement. Solitary confinement makes adults crazy. I mean, literally crazy. It breaks you. It's considered torture by the United Nations. Yet we do it in our prisons here, and now we're doing it in children's prisons? These journalists who have outed this, this, this story, uh, there's a whole piece about it over at Daily Coast. Locked in cells 23 hours at a time, no lights, no exercise. Activists want this youth center shut down. That's the headline. And they relied on hundreds of pages of incident reports, emails, videos, education records, emergency response laws, dozens of interviews. They wrote that teens at the Acadian Center, including those diagnosed with mental illness, were held in their cells for at least 23 hours a day for weeks. They were shackled with handcuffs and leg irons when let out for a shower or given a little more than meals slid through slots in their doors. Some teens took those brief moments of human contact to fling feces at the guards. Two of the teens in the facilities harmed themselves so badly that they required medical attention. Some destroyed their beds and shattered light fixtures using the metal shards to hack holes in the cinder block walls large enough for them to escape. Two kids did escape this way. Can you imagine digging your way through cinder blocks? Just, I, I, you know, QAnon is like all hysterical about uh, Democrats. How about being actually hysterical about something that's actually going on? Ziggy in Oneata, New York. Hey, Ziggy, how's, how's the sticker business going? All right, we're doing good. A lot of the hump at the pump by Comrade Trump went out there. There's thousands of them. People ordered, and, and wow. I want to say thank you. Very and cool. I so mention that just, just to give you a, a shameless plug here, Ziggy, and make it clear you're not passing a dollar to me, but right. uh, how can people find your stickers? 
Okay, right now you can go to Zazzle.com, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E, and in the search window, type in Ziggy Siggy, Z-I-G-G-Y, S-I-G-G-Y. Okay. Or you can follow my um, Twitter feed at Ziggy Siggy. But I also want to let you know that I'm playing offense. I really want us to win this November, mm-hmm. and I want to get the word out. And when people come up with a good idea and I hear it, I'm trying to put it on something. Like uh, you had a caller a couple of weeks ago say that we need a sticker that says democracy is the solution. I have one. want to try getting the word out so that way we win this next fall. Yeah, I because saw your T-shirts on Twitter. I think I retweeted your, your uh, plug for your T-shirts. And, uh, yes. and it drew all kinds of right-wing trolls in. So it, it, it struck a nerve. Good on you, Ziggy. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know, I know. I, I had to deal with a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, just, you know, don't feed yeah. the trolls. Just ignore them. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Oh, That's- no, no. Yeah, well, well uh, I decided not to uh, send them to you because I'm not after trolls, and I'm not really trying to sell anything. I just want to get the word out. I yeah. want us to win this November. And uh, like that other gentleman was saying, we got to play offense, and that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Out. Check out Ziggy's stuff over on Zazzle.com. Uh, Ziggy, thank you very much, and keep up the great work. Tom in Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Trump just refinanced a $100 million loan. That's just the I news. saw that for Trump Tower. Right, exactly. But the bank is called Axos. It's a, it's not a brick and mortar. No, it's an it's online bank. That's right, internet only. But here's the big, big news: follow the SEC filings through eight shell companies. In, in a person did an article and follow them all. And at the end of it, they go, the final over owner. It, it's a Trump donor that runs it in San Diego. But the final owner of the bank is. S-O-V-C-O-M-B-A-N-K, which is the ninth largest bank of the Soviet Union. It was sanctioned at the first day of the invasion of the Ukraine. So he really? got a high... So, yes. so the $100 million that Donald Trump just got that just bailed his butt out, you know, and, and allowed him to hang on to Trump Tower, because he was, I mean, that mortgage had to be rolled over. And so he was looking at possibly having to sell off Trump Tower, just like he just sold off the Washington, D.C. hotel. That hundred million dollars came from a from a uh, an internet based bank that is ultimately owned by Russians. The, by the ninth largest bank in Russia, it's spelled S O V C O M B A N K. I think it means Soviet Communist Bank, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that, it probably did it at one time. So to me, uh, isn't that a fine conflict of interest <laughs> if he runs it? Yeah, I, I, you know, if what you're saying is true, Tom, I haven't seen the article, but I'm taking your word for it. You've, you've called before, you're, you seem reasonable. Um, but if that's what's true, that should be major headline news in the United States. You know, Trump turns to Russia to, to hang on to Trump Tower. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm I surprised started, it's not. Yeah, I started, to, well, one article came out last night on Apple News. Okay, well, put, the, put it on Twitter, would you? Let me retweet it. I don't have Twitter. I've oh, jeez. Okay, well, maybe I'll have, to, I'll have to go looking for it. Tom Hartman Program. Carol in Auburn, Washington. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today? Hey, I have a question about Mitch McConnell. Is he? Did he bring that Russian aluminum plant into Kentucky, or was that something that was just dismissed? Since we're putting the sanctions on the Russians, do you know anything about it? He announced it in time for the election that this, uh, I believe it was a $200 million plant was going to be built. It was going to be built with, uh, was it Deripaska? It was one of the Russian oligarchs was going to fund it. That's why they started calling him Moscow Mitch. He got a lot of good publicity across, across the state, across Kentucky for that. Everybody thought he was, he'd done this wonderful thing. And then after the election was over, you know, it kind of stopped. And now it's dead. That's my, uh, oh, so it's my best no, understanding. The, okay. That I don't think they question. ever even even broke ground. I'm not even sure if they acquired land. They might have acquired some land, but I think that's about as close as they got to have, having an aluminum plant. John in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? How do the Federal Reserve's tools work, given that the economy has now gone uh, global? Yeah, well, that's that's another another issue. They're you know by buying and selling bonds, they're increasing and decreasing the supply of dollars. But uh, given that the dollar is the world's reserve currency, 
there's something like a hundred trillion dollars worth of dollars out there you know, all over the planet and and you know our our economy is a 20 20 21 trillion dollar economy if my recollection serves me correctly so it seems like that would dilute their efforts or that they would have to be much more extreme in their efforts to change the money supply but i but i'm not the economist here john i'm sorry yeah, I'm, I'm a little curious because, you know, mostly what he was talking about with their tools being were, were interest rates, right? Yeah. Raising them or lowering them, issuing bonds or buying or, sell, or buying bonds. Right, right. Yeah. And Well, buying and selling bonds is a way of changing the money supply um, and, and would have an impact on interest rates. You know, again, this, I, I am not the, uh, the expert on this, but... Um, but let me let me put that down for next week for uh, Professor Wolf. That might be a great question. Thank you. I'd love to hear it. Okay. And Thanks. Another Go ahead. another point I'd like to make after listening to what you've been talking about is I'd love to hear the Democrats get a couple of people out there to do the hyperbole in the way that you know Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Matt Gates mm-hmm. do it. Only have them put out things like we're taking the January 6th terrorists to, Gu- to Guantanamo to for enhanced interrogation. I think I don't think that there are any Democrats who are willing to play the clown. I mean, basically, you know, Matt Gates, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, um, this little little band of of uh, you know discredited right wing Republican crazies. It's a clown show. I mean, you know, they're they're ridiculed. Uh, Lauren Boebert now has a regular Republican in Colorado who just declared he's going to run against her. I mean, he's a he's a, a state legislator, a serious legislator. He's a Republican, but he he's calling her too bizarre. And you know, I I don't know about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She comes from you know a, a, this little community in in North Georgia where it's just wackadoodles all day long. And Matt Gates, his father's a multi, multi, multi millionaire, and uh, so he's got a lot of resources behind him. But I, I don't know that there are any Democrats who, who would be willing to play the, to play the fool. Uh, you know, it's an interesting idea, John. It's a really interesting idea. It would be good theater. Sadly, what happens is when Democrats come out and tell the truth. You know, and, and say, you know, like the banks ripped us off and we should be prosecuting banksters rather than bailing them out. That gets treated like they're playing the fool. Weird stuff. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the true people's media. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Jason in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Hey, hey, Jason, thanks for watching this on YouTube. What's up? Hi, Tom. Say, I was watching a NBC News report yesterday about the stealing PPP money. Right. And uh, they were saying that um, besides Ferraris, houses, and all sorts of things, uh, people from Europe using their computers to get some of that money, um, they're saying that his investigator claimed he could only get 10%, maybe at the most, yeah. of the money reclaimed. Now, what my question to you is, isn't there a money trail when the government was printing out the PPP money? I mean, aren't there checks, banks, records? Uh, what happened to all of the accountability? I think you have to keep in mind that the PPP program rolled out under Donald Trump. And uh, Wilbur Ross, uh, one of the billionaires in his cabinet, uh, has been described by Forbes magazine as a, as a grifter. Um, he, he was surrounded by grifters. So it shouldn't surprise us that if the Democrats and the Republicans, actually some, some Republicans voted for this as well, um, but if they come to the White House and say, okay, we want to give you know, a, a half a trillion or a trillion dollars to people to get them through the pandemic, that the White House being in charge of implementation of that 
would do it in a way that would allow the grifters to get away with stealing, stealing money, you know, just stealing them blind. Um, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't, I, you know, I've, I've seen articles alluding to this, but I haven't seen any good in-depth reporting on it. But I'm guessing that some of that PPP money ended up in Donald Trump's pocket. I think you're right. So, you know, it just, it just, it just makes sense to me that if you've got a grifter as a president and Congress says, here, here's a pile of money, pass it out to people, that, you know, a lot of grifters are going to get that money and we won't be able to get it back because of the way that they do it. And, and, uh, and that's the kind of thing that just frustrates the hell out of everybody. It does. It's, and this is why, you know, a couple of days ago, I, I, the op-ed I wrote over at HartmanReport.com was how, uh, how the, the business, it seems, <laughs> the main business of the Republican Party these days is this giant grift. And, you know, and everybody in the GOP is in on this grift. And it's, it's just... Uh, They're siphoning the money out of the middle class for their luxuries. Yes, they absolutely are. It's, uh, you know, how much more money can we pour into the billionaires' money bins? Uh, spot on. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much. Thank thanks you, for the call. Yeah, uh, and thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. Rick in Danby, New York. Hey, Rick, what's up? I uh, live in a very red part of uh, upstate New York. I got a call from... Um, a neighbor who was uh, working on the uh, school district uh, election, uh, uh, school board elections, mm-hmm. and that was yesterday. And she asked me to call the neighbors on on our road, and I did. And we all turned out, and uh, nine of us voted, and the uh, election was decided by seven votes. Wow! In and favor of the in favor of the non-Trumpy candidate. You betcha. <laughs> wow. Boy, so good. That is incredible, well, Rick. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, I pre- we appreciate your encouragement. Yeah, I, I I appreciate you showing up. I mean that that that's an impressive story, Rick. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. That an inspiration on a on a on a otherwise relatively slow Wednesday. Sandra in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Sandra, what's on your mind today? Well, I just wondered if uh, uh, a group of dedicated citizens could file a class action lawsuit against the Supreme Court for allowing money to decide who wins elections, because that's clearly what they've done. Right. And it's working very well. And they doubled down Uh, on it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And I just feel like, you know, I'm done with it. What's the point of even bothering with an election? Just tell us who you're going to pick and... And who paid the most money? Because that's what it is. Right. Nine out of ten times. In fact, it's even higher than that. It's, it's over 90 percent of elections are won by the people who spent the most amount of money. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and then the, the Supreme Court yesterday just made it so much easier to, to directly bribe politicians, you know, yeah. through, their, through their campaigns. I'm with you, uh, Sandra, in my outrage. I share your outrage. I think it's absolutely wrong. I think the court has corrupted our politics to the point that we're heading down the road to fascism, and the Supreme Court is the, yeah. the principal um, uh, promoter of this. We have to understand that these people who are on the court, by and large, were put there with the help of right-wing billionaires who wanted this outcome. And I don't. I, I, what I do know, though, is that you can't file a class action lawsuit against the Supreme Court. Um, sovereign no, they immunity. They should be able to. Yeah, you should. Sovereign yeah. immunity protects them. The only way to do anything about the Supreme Court, well, there's a, there's there's a couple of options. Number one, they can be impeached. That's probably not going to happen. It requires a two-thirds majority in the House and Senate, uh, or it requires a majority in the House and two-thirds majority in the Senate. That's not going to happen. Uh, number two, you can pass a constitutional amendment or a law that reverses their rulings. And that's probably the, 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 the optimal way to go about specific things like money and politics. And yeah. number three, Congress can exercise their Article Three, Section 2 authority to regulate the court and expand the size of the court. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think all of those things can and should be done. The first, as I mentioned, is probably going to be politically impossible. But, um, yeah. you know, if we don't do something about money and politics... Uh, and, and like I said, the, the court just expanded it even further yesterday with this uh, 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 decision in favor of Ted Cruz. If we don't do something about money in politics, uh, we, we don't, we, we're not going to have a democracy anymore. I mean, arguably, most much of it is already gone. Sandra, thank you yeah. for the call. Um, you know, spot on. And this is why, oh, and the fourth thing is be sure that there's always a Democrat in the White House because it's the, the president who nominates 
members of the Supreme Court. This is this is why they were so gung ho, why the Supreme Court itself wanted to put George W. Bush in office in 2000. George in Porter County, Indiana. George, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, uh, I know that we all exaggerate, but there's so much lie and hate on right wing radio. I, my background, I'm in my third decade of being a special ed teacher out here. I worked in public school the whole time. Um, Obama's going to take away all your guns. Um, the progressives want to kill babies when they're eight, nine months pregnant. We're indoctrinating ch- ch- children in, in school. We all know if you hear some lies over and over and over again, people are going to start believing it. I'm not surprised with all of the, the, the killing that's going on with all these people that are so easily... Uh, these are children hearing this stuff. These are adults that maybe are unstable. It's so or just uninformed. I early, I, I, right, and I know earlier you were talking about the, the one doctrine you talked about that used to be... Um, yeah, the fairness you, doctrine. You said, uh, yeah, yeah, broad, so, uh, pub, broadcasted in the public interest, yeah. So, so what do we do about this? I mean, you know, if I just listen to right-wing radio, right, I would believe all this stuff, too, because it's all mm. you hear. Yep. It's constant anger and hate and I've worked at schools, like I said, it's my third decade working at schools. I never, we never indoctrinate kids. In all my personal experience, there's no indoctrination of kids. You teach your subject, you're teaching, and that's it. You don't yeah. jump into politics unless you're a government teacher. And they don't insert their own private, personal beliefs in those classes. If you in, do, you get booted. In 1996, when Bill Clinton signed the Telecommunications Act of 1996, which did away with the ownership rules um, up until that point. In fact, you know, uh, the, I think the largest group of radio stations in the country at that point was fewer than 100 because you, you couldn't own uh, more than a certain number of radio stations in a particular market or state or whatever. And within a year of that being signed, Clear Channel had about 1,000 stations. Within two years, I think it was CBS, it, it, then it became Cumulus, now it's something else, um, was in the neighborhood of 1,000 stations. And the Republicans got real smart about this. I mean, you know, they, their, their people got in there um, and uh, took over these, these networks and, and started programming them. And, you know, Salem is a, a Bible publisher, a right-wing Republican Bible publisher. They're now, they've got radio stations in every single city in America, major city in America, um, uh, or close to it. And they're explicitly political, many of these people. I mean, I, I had lunch with the vice president of Salem years ago. Um, I, you know, I write about it in one of my books, and, he, and I said, how about putting me on one of your stations or some of your stations, you know, get, a, get some diversity, a, pro, a progressive. And he said, well, we're a Bible publishing company. We only put Christians on. I said, I'm a Christian. And he said, well, no, he said, you can't be a Christian and be a liberal. And that was the end of that conversation. We had, I sat in the office of a United States senator with a billionaire who was the owner of one of these large radio networks, owned over 800 radio stations. And the senator said to him, you know, have you ever thought about putting progressive programming on any of your stations? You got a couple hundred stations that are running all right-wing programming. And the guy said, I will never put anybody on the air who's gonna raise my taxes, who's gonna advocate raising my taxes. Uh, so, you know, it's be- clearly become political. Democrats need to figure this out. There are a couple of independent and really good and really well-performing independent progressive stations in the country. The top two, in my mind, are WCPT in Chicago and KTNF in Minneapolis. But there's, there's a, a number of them. And Democrats, as an institution, the Democratic Party, the DNC, needs to get together with their donors and say, hey, here's a model. You can do this. There are every single day of the week, there's at least 100 radio stations for sale across the United States. They need to be building out media infrastructure. They haven't been doing it. The Republicans, in fact, the Republicans are so far ahead in this game that they've now got over 300 Spanish language right wing stations broadcasting in the United States. It was fewer than a dozen just a decade ago. And, uh, you know, they, they are ripping up the pavement on this stuff, as you correctly point out, George, and they are brainwashing America, and it is just a tragedy. George, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry. How's our numbers guy doing Hi. today? Hi. Um, in the last 12 years, the, Fed, the Fed's balance sheet uh, added $9 trillion. Most of that money went to the corporations. We have uh, regular Americans running around uh, advocating that corporations get lower taxes. All of that uh, stuff, what that, all, what that is doing is that's driving us closer and closer to fascism. Um, 
And instead of us being uh, the government of the people, by the people, for the people, we're now of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. I agree. And uh, so a 42-year-old man today has never seen a Democratic president give us a recession, uh, while Republican presidents have given us five recessions. They've given us most of our national debt. And in, in that 42 years, the Republicans have seen zero jobs created. I'm rounding the numbers down to the closest million. The Republicans have seen zero jobs created, and the Democrats, Democratic members have seen 42 million jobs created in 42 years. And, it, and, and when you look at the fact that most of our media is right-wing, we don't have a liberal biased media, and you, you look at the fact that all of these people, just now they did a... a uh, a survey, and Americans think that Republicans can handle the economy better than Democrats. Yeah. Um, it's a mythology, mind. Larry. It's, it's, a, it's a pervasive, bizarre, but pervasive mythology. Right-wing radio all over America. Yeah. And, and Donald Trump, all while he was president for three years, telling everybody he had the best economy ever. And uh, now the media, what are they focused on? They're focused on uh, inflation. They were never this focused on D Donald Trump losing three million jobs. But I have done this over and over again. I'll ask somebody, how many jobs did uh, Donald Trump see created? And they'll give me a positive number. He lost three million. I said, how many jobs has Biden seen created? What the Republicans have been telling us is Biden is losing tens of thousands of jobs. And so most of those people don't think that Biden even... Uh, had any job creation so far since he's been president. We have a right-wing media, a fascist media. We have a, we now have a, a fascist Supreme Court, a fascist um, new um, government that um, the Republicans have basically they they uh, created this situation where where the shadow government, the Republicans own it. That's why they keep getting all the the, the judges put on the Supreme Court. Yeah. That's why they. They, that's why Biden is going to be the first president since uh, uh, going all the way back to uh, Kennedy, Kennedy Johnson. He's going to be the first president who might not get his tax policy passed. Johnson, mm -hmm. Kennedy got theirs. Nixon got theirs. Um, even Jimmy Carter uh, got his. Reagan, Bush. You go right down the line. Everybody got theirs. And Biden is having the most trouble in the world. And he's trying to do the best yeah, because of because of uh, every single Republican in the Senate and man and Mansion and Cinema, Larry, you're you're you know spot on, which raises an interesting question that I'd like to toss out for you know maybe people want to call in and offer suggestions or thoughts, and and I'm and I'm wondering, Larry, you said you you know you have these conversations with people, how do we best engage average people who really don't understand what's going on and who are believing the BS? How do we engage them and, 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 and convince them? I mean, you've got the numbers right on, on the tip of your tongue most times. Um, you're very good at that. Um, but, you know, for the average person, what, what, what's the single argument or, or what's the best way to engage somebody who's been, you know, uh, who, who just does, doesn't understand what's really going on here? I think that everybody who listens to your radio program should be taking notes and then calling those right-wing radio stations. And, and flooding them with the truth, make them uh, confront what the Republicans have done, how the Republicans, like I said, in my lifetime, I'm 68 years old, they've given us 10 recessions, and the Democrats have only given us one. Right. Confront right. these Republicans with that information, make them discuss it, and all of a sudden the American people will, be, will become educated. There you go. Mary in Seattle. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Hi, I am wondering how it can be legal for Israel to fund our elections. You mentioned that they funded a primary candidate. Yeah, two of them, actually. Yes. Um, uh, two of your kind of middle of the road candidates against progressives. Um, uh, the reason it's legal is because of the 2010 Citizens United decision. And in, oh. in that decision, in fact, in the um, uh, dissent in that decision, written by John Paul Stevens, um, and uh, I don't know if it's still living on YouTube or what, but when that decision came down in 2010, I marked it all up and did like a whole hour show on it. 
uh, you know, reading at length from pieces of it. But in that dissent by John Paul Stevens, which is really worth reading, and it's not terribly long, um, Stevens said, under this, under this construction, under this uh, ruling, and it was a five to four ruling, it was you know, five Republicans versus four Democrats, um, these, five Demo- these five Republicans have uh, created a situation where if Tokyo Rose were still alive today, this was the famous uh, Japanese woman who was speaking to American troops on the radio during World War II, telling them, just go home, you've lost, just give up. He said, if Tokyo Rose was still around, she would be able to participate in America's elections. She would be able to fund America's elections. And, um, and then uh, when um, Barack Obama called this out, so this specific aspect of it in his State of the Union address in, uh, I believe it was in February of 2011, because the decision came down in December of 2010, um, as I recall. Uh, when Barack Obama called it out, Sam Alito was in the front, and he mouthed the words, not so, or that's not so. Uh, turns out it very much is so. Now, all you have to do if you're a foreign government is set up an American corporation that is run by Americans, and you can pour as much money into it as you want, and that American corporation can then you know, repurpose that money for any purpose they want with regard to elections. So, you know, that, here we are. You can thank Citizens United for it, Mary. Answer your question? Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Rob in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Hey, Rob, what's up? Just had one quick point to make, and I've, list, I've been listening for the last several days uh, on the commentary. And my point is that people don't change, times change. And with that, I mean, human nature is the same as it's always been. And with respect to racism specifically, there's been racism in human nature since the dawn of time, uh, since there was more than one race uh, uh, on the planet Earth. Coming into contact um, with each other, yes, I agree. And and by the way, it's not even just racism. I mean, I mean, look at look at the Irish. You know, the the, the Northern Irish and, and and Ireland. You know, killing each other. These be people who are racially identical, essentially. I mean, you know, sure. it doesn't. It, it's well, and, yeah, of and, or the, or the Protestant Catholic wars. I mean, there's always been an us and them thing in humanity. Yes, uh, forgive or the Native Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, um, but the times have changed. Times change in that technology has advanced to the point where, you know, the, the way that racism is perpetuated on people and, and spread and whatnot has changed. I mean, you know, now we have the Internet, we have whatnot. But I, I don't I don't blame um, specifically one one thing on the Internet or like, say, for instance, I don't blame Facebook. I don't blame CNN. I don't blame Fox News. Um I think that the human nature, no matter no matter what technology advances to human nature, it, you know, racism is going to exist. I don't know how you get rid of it, but you know, we're going to. The have way you it. did it, it has to do with identity, Rob. And and when people feel that their identity is more tightly bound to a small group than the large group, then you have this problem. I mean, for example, during World War II, uh, we set aside an awful lot of stuff and just pulled together to fight the war. After 9-11, we set aside a lot of stuff and pulled together to fight what we thought was an existential threat. Um, So to the extent that people are not willing to say, yes, I'm an American first, um, that, you know, that I, I think that's driving an awful lot of this stuff, Rob. Yeah, I think you're right. So, so the, the solution is to do you know, what FDR did during World War II, and, and I think Joe Biden is trying to do this, is to point out that we all are Americans, and this stuff is tearing us apart, and it's not good for us all. And, 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 you know, and we need to look for these larger identities and larger identi- identity structures, because we're never going to stop tribalism, essentially. But if we define our tribe as being Americans in the world, as opposed to being you know, citizens of a particular state or people with particular political affiliation or racial affiliation. I think it could be a lot healthier. Rob, thanks for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. John in Naperville, Illinois. Hey, John, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? They are nuts, Tom. They are absolutely nuts. Um, Have we reached the point where the only way out is a third party to overturn money in our elections no because the third party will simply be you know purchased as soon as it comes available 
It, this is the problem we had with the Green Party in the, in the last couple of elections where the Green Party still had some mojo. We discovered that, in, as I recall, it was about a half a dozen states. You had large Republican donors pouring money into the Green Party to split the Democratic vote. Right, right. And I understand why that continues to happen. My only question is, is this really what's hanging up the craziness? I mean, these people just want to make money, and they'll say and do anything to get it. Well, I don't think it's just money. I think it's power, too. I, I, I think you underestimate how seductive power and fame, frankly, are. You know, I, I, I just as a as a person, as a as a minor celebrity. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very low on the totem pole, but um, okay. it just astonishes me um, sometimes when I when I, I go out in public and meet people, you know, the, the aura of fame that it alters how people deal with you. Um, and, 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 and think of you and want to, you know, use you or exploit you. I mean, it, it uh, you know, thank God, you know, Louise keeps me sane and, you know, on the, you know and, and, and won't yeah. let me take myself too seriously. But I've had friends, I've known people in this business who, who just, you know, believe that their own, you know, believe their own BS, basically, and, and, and not just in this business. And it's very, very, it's, 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 it's very dangerous, very seductive stuff, uh, uh, John. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh, I, I just I'm scared because of the fact these people are talking about a civil war. Yeah. And it, it, it is. And, and they all have this belief system, like in that old movie, Red Dawn, that somehow it's going to be like that. And the I, I mean, they just look at the IRA and the church in Ireland and how horrible that was. Yeah. And the fact that this will be 10 times worse. And I just I, I just can't believe people want their families split up like this. I just can't believe it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you for your work, Tom. You really, really do a good job, and you help chill me out. So keep doing okay. a great job. All right. Thanks a lot, thank John. So great to hear Bye-bye. from you. Appreciate it. Ted in Washington, D.C. Hey, Ted, what's up? Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I, uh, I I grew up in D.C. Uh, before home rule. And one thing that I've learned is that you can get used to not having any power, you know? And I think that's what's happening now. I think that people are getting used to the idea that they don't have any control over the government. I think they're getting used to the idea that they have less power to elect their politicians than they do to, you know, get somebody at, as the winner of American Idol. And I think that the way that you have to change that is you have to you have to start, you know, locally. And I think the, the, the most effective thing that, that people can do is going to take some time, but I think one of the most effective things that people can do is to try to get more uh, people uh, who, who believe in democracy because, you know, you even, even have politicians like Mike Lee saying that uh, democracy is no longer a valid system of government. Uh, but you get more people who believe in democracy onto the school boards, onto the local uh, educational system so that it demands civics uh, class. Right. Demand that children learn civics. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you, Ted, and, and bringing, bringing civics back to education. I would love to see a federal initiative to make that happen. Um, of course, the Republicans would all yell and scream that it was going to be indoctrination and critical race theory, but I still think it should be done. Ted, thank you. Excellent point. Excellent point. Frida in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Frida, you wanted to speak to CJ? Um, yeah, actually, um, both CJ and your prior caller, Jerry, mm-hmm. um, first of all, um, regarding what Jerry said, you know, Obama wasn't a completely worthless president. First of all, just the importance of having our very first black president was really, really important to our nation. I agree. Yeah. And second of all, Obamacare, the Affordable Health Care Act, that was immensely, you know, important to me personally um, to get health health care insurance. And it was important for thousands and thousands of other Americans. Millions, so actually, millions. And had it not been gutted by the Supreme Court, it would have been huge. Yeah, exactly. And even in its gutted form, it was very beneficial for me. And I am now at the age where I'm switching from Obamacare to Medicare, and my health care costs are actually going up. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and then, Jay, um, being from Madison, I often get to hear CJ's comments calling into Progressive Radio. And my comment to him um, 
is that he should take a little time to learn his mother tongue English. There's nothing that irritates me more than Republicans um, not understanding that the word Democrat is a noun and the word Democratic is an adjective and they need to be used in that manner. Well, Democratic um, is also a noun, you know, the Democratic well, Party, proper noun. Well, well it's, it's an adjective, though. You are a Democrat. That's a noun. I am a Democratic voter. That's right. an adjective. I am a member but of the ad- Democratic Party, which is a noun. Right? Yeah. yeah. But at any rate, correcting <laughs> him. But it's very yeah. irritating. I get it. I get it. English geeks of the world unite. Frida, thank you. <laughs> yeah. This, that goes back, Frida, that goes back to, uh, uh, you know, back into the 1950s. Uh, you know, uh, never, never say Democratic. It sounds too friendly. Say Democrat with the emphasis on the rat. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, uh, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. We can shake off learned helplessness. Wake up, stand up, get out there, get inside the party, take it over, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 